0: Okay. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. I've got Jason Verlindy on here. Very patient man. We're dealing with some tech issues, but uh, we're good. <laughs> anyway, so we were talking about you're originally from California. Yeah. And you came up here to work for Amazon. Yep. In
1: 1998. So- cool. Yeah. They were just a bookseller at the time. They brought on a whole bunch of people from record labels and alternative weeklies and music writers. And we were tasked with basically building out, you know, the content for uh, the world's largest CD store, which was about to launch. It's what they were doing at the time. This is pre-streaming, pre-everything. Uh, and and yeah, so I came on and and that was, you know, what brought me to the Pacific Northwest from the Sacramento area. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: And so from there, so I guess back up even farther, What what got you into guitar? Were you into guitar for, as a, as a kid, or is that something that happened later in life? Or
1: I I was really into music. I mean, there's going to be a recurring theme here in our conversation <laughs> where I, where I tend to gravitate towards the esoteric and the quirky. But um, I was really into music. Had a you know grew up in a house with an older sister who turned me on to all the stuff you know in the 80s a teenager would turn another kid on to the doors and NXS and rem and all those bands and and we had a really cool still exists uh uc davis in northern california has a really cool radio station kdvs which is sort of like for anyone in seattle or around the world who listens to KXP. it's sort of a similar uh, eclectic freeform music model. And I got really hooked on you know, indie music and punk music through that. And I loved guitar and guitar-based music, but I had a lot of friends in junior high school and high school who were already really accomplished guitarists. So I, of course, gravitated towards the things they didn't do and i think i bought like a five string banjo when i was in like 7th grade That's i don't so know cool. why i love blue, that blue bluegrass wasn't really like something played around the house but uh you know i i got the noodled on that for many years uh and then eventually in college you know did buy a, some sort of cheap tysco or something at a garage sale and then slowly, you know, actually nice playable guitars entered my life as I got into my twenties. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love it that you started with a banjo that
1: <laughs> Yeah, I took banjo lessons even at, at a music store in California. And you know, just remember the befuddled look of the instructor because I had no frame of reference uh about uh you know what <laughs> what kind of music, you know, Cripple Creek, what is Cripple Creek supposed to sound like? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just looking at the tab on this page. Uh, and I'm sure I infuriated that teacher. But yeah, I I just tend to, you know, chase down things that uh, maybe aren't quite so mainstream, which
0: probably leads us to the Fretboard Journal. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. Well, were you into like Earl Scruggs or was that even on your radar at that time or Bluegrass or at some uh,
1: I think I I know I watched the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> after school like a lot of kids on syndication. That was uh, my
0: entree into yeah into yeah. The but
1: but banjo is a, a pretty intimidating instrument to oh man to take up uh, yeah you know it still intimidates me uh, and and it's not something I mean if you're born if you're born into a family that's playing the banjo or you take it up at a young age it's infinitely easier than. Some suburban
0: kid in California decided he's gonna
1: take it out, but it's not in his blood,
0: so for sure, for sure, yeah, that's awesome well, so then moving forward what yeah what got you what got you uh interested in like a magazine dedicated to guitar and and podcasting and uh, how did that evolution take place
1: yeah well i'm I'm one of these weird kids where you know even before the guitar bug really hit i loved printed goods or printed items i loved i was the kid who if we would check into a motel or a hotel on some family trip would take all the brochures out of the brochure rack (laughs) and like go read them you know to read about the botanical garden 20 miles away or whatever uh i was really into downhill skiing i collected trail maps and would like unfold them you know like they were treasure maps and and collect those you know put them in my drawer never throw them away i loved you know old architectural digest magazines when i was a kid we'd get those at like a garage sale and i would just pour through those cuz they were like a whole nother universe that was so far from where i was uh in my yeah. life and i you know grew up in the era of tower records where that was one of the coolest newsstands around they had yeah. zine that were sometimes published by you know a few hundred copies right next to mojo and all these cool magazines from europe and i really really have always loved um publishing and you know long form journalism and print magazines and so i went to college they didn't have a journalism degree, I got an English degree, which was kind of useless, but whatever. <laughs> uh it's it, everything's a stepping stone to whatever's next. Exactly. Uh, and you know, like I said, I wrote for weeklies uh when I was living in Northern California, and even once I moved up here to Seattle, I wrote for like the Seattle Weekly a few times. But it was when I lived here, got to know more musicians, got to befriend more people in bands. And kind of got the guitar bug, you know. I think I bought a Martin D16 or or some, you know, it, it was a substantial investment for me at the time, but it yeah. you know, in hindsight was a pretty entry-level instrument to take up. But I I bought a dreadnought Martin and I started looking around at the guitar newsstand and going, like, is this it? Like there's <laughs> really Uh, And I should add, like when I was in college, I took it so far as to even like apprentice for a letterpress printer who was doing these like $5,000 a copy vellum bound coffee table books, you know, of poetry and stuff. Uh, The Bay Area was a hotbed and still is of like book arts. And so Uh as I was phasing out of, you know, I'd already gotten enough credits to graduate, really, I was phasing out of my. Uh, college life. I I found this printer in the Bay Area. I went and kind of apprenticed for him, which literally was, you know, so old world as to like sweep the floors and like clean <laughs> up clean up the ink and stuff. It feels like something from the 1700s, but it was actually you know 25 years ago, I love 30 that. years ago. I love. Yeah, it. and so I've always loved you know well designed, beautifully printed things and. Like I said, once I got the guitar bug and and was, you know, a voracious magazine reader in general for other things, skiing, uh, whatever I'd find at the newsstand that looked cool. I mean, there's all these interesting magazines from around the world at at a great newsstand. And I'd look and then I'd go to the guitar section and be like, God, guitars are so beautiful and these magazines are so ugly. Like, why doesn't something nicer
0: exist? And that was sort of the origin story of the Fretboard Journal. I love that you were in you you came to seattle at a good time in the 90s for for music and bands and guitar yeah. players so your timing was really right on did you were you daunted by the? but also we we were in the throes of the digital ramp up as well right so yeah was that daunting to or did you even think about it because because it sounds like you really have a lo- a love of printed stuff i'm i kind of the same way i love printed magazines and things like that but what was going through your mind? It's like, did you think about, you know, okay, well, you know, newspapers are becoming obsolete, printed material are becoming very threatened. Was that an issue when you decided to do the magazine?
1: Well, I mean, there's, uh, people have been saying print is dead for 25, 30 years now. <laughs> and and it has largely been dying um, in terms of, you know, mainstream magazines and newspapers that depend on classified advertising. Uh you know the phone book. I mean, there's all these instances <laughs> where things are just infinitely better online. Yeah, uh, but I've always gravitated towards these magazines that you would never throw away. Um, you know, and and the the magazine that inspired the fretboard journal the most was one for surfing called the Surfers Journal. Oh, yeah. They're in their 30th year or beyond, uh, and they have created this quarterly coffee table magazine very much like what guitarists see in the fretboard journal about surf culture. They would go historical pieces on old surfboard shapers, uh, photo essays on waves in the South Pacific, like anything surf related, they would document. And they've been doing it issue after issue with like the highest standards for decades now. And i looked at that and I thought, wow, you know, like if surfing can have this, why can't musical instruments And I reached out to them when I was still working at Amazon and asked them for some advice and actually ended up going to California for one afternoon to Southern California to go meet them and and kind of like glean as many tips as I could from them. This was while I still had a job and (laughs) still had the idea of like, hey, I could just be a corporate stiff for the rest of my life or I could start this project and it was inspiring to go down there and yeah i mean i i feel like you know that is the challenge for all print publishers today is how can we make something relevant that is um indispensable and not replaceable by whatever we're going to see on our phone or whatever we're going to see on our laptop screen in the case of what I do, you know, we we publish articles that are sometimes 5, 6, th- 7,000 words long. We publish these beautiful photographs that we commission of artists' instruments or craftspeople's workshops. I have yet to find anything, uh, YouTube in 4K, any <laughs> app on my iPhone, uh, yeah, yeah. any website, even the most well-funded one that feels... And reads as well as flipping through the printed page.
0: Yeah. Might and,
1: change, but for now,
0: I still am on it. <laughs> well, I can attest to that because yeah, the I get the magazines and they're beautiful. And um exactly for for people, you know, everybody's got their thing, right? Whether you're a car guy or a surfer guy or or a yeah. guitar person, you appreciate uh a publication or 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 something that is directed at you that is done with care. And you can tell that who's ever producing this content cares about guitars or cares about whatever it is. And and I totally get that. It comes yeah. through and every page of this magazine. It's beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. I
1: mean it's not easy. It's it's only getting harder to yeah. like,
0: to do a print magazine as
1: we're um, you know, coming out of COVID, it felt like freight and paper costs just like oh, doubled. You know, uh and so we're still definitely, and and other publishers are as well, like still definitely kind of like figuring out the formula a little bit. Uh, it felt hard pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> little did we know <laughs> that all of our expenses <laughs> would go up so high. But they have, and I don't think that they'll necessarily go back to their old rates. But, um, but yeah, there's just something beautiful about a well-designed nicely printed object um that has some heart behind it and so it is a bit of a statement piece you know it's yeah y- you could go and do an incredible interview that's long-form journalism with some great artists and throw it on a website and it's still just going to be one of the many <laughs> interviews on the web yeah, yeah. That may or may not get seen whereas if you put it on paper people sometimes take notice
0: yeah Well, the thing for me that I love about the magazine and and your podcast is the discovery aspect, you know, because Mm -hmm. I mean, as a guitar player who's played all my life, I know a lot of guitar players. I know a a fair amount about guitars, but the discovery aspect for me has been so cool. Like um, G Weller Weller was a revelation. (laughs) Dude, I listened to that podcast. That that part of it, the story behind it is hilarious or not hilarious, but just interesting and fascinating, you know, be, between the label guy and G. Weller mm-hmm. and then listening to his music is just, that music is just beautiful, idiosyncratic. Um, and I put headphones on to listen to it and I can hear him humming as he's playing his guitar, right? Which is, t- yeah. anyway, but did you, was that kind of a, a, an unexpected thing, the discovery aspect of it, or was that kind of something you thought about or... Oh, gosh. Talk?
1: I mean, you know, I feel like when we started this magazine, and and I think, you know, for better or worse, like books are still judged by their cover. When we started this magazine, you know, David Grisman, the mandolin hero of the world, uh, who's based here in Washington State, we put him on the cover. Uh, honestly, it was an interview with a well-known musician that we knew we could get. It was yeah. like a friend of a friend situation. Uh We were starting a magazine from scratch. We had no reputation amongst publicists or record labels or anything. Uh, But, you know, I think people kind of assume because we do cover Americana and folk music and bluegrass music, and we sometimes interview these legendary figures that we, you know, are probably this magazine for your grandparents or something. (laughs) Uh, But from day one, we've been... Doing weird, quirky things and, and going down rabbit holes and, you know, sending photographers to obscure guitar stores that have no internet presence, but, you know, it looks like a bomb went off in them, but they have these cool instruments <laughs> and it's just this like beautiful, you know, work of art almost like walking into an installation uh, and we've had artists interview their heroes, you know, in, in like the second or in that first issue, Nico Case interviewed Charlie Leuven of the Leuven Brothers. So cool. So we've always been kind of like asking artists to tell us about their favorite things, which tend to be more obscure. You know, it's rare that you yeah. have a, a great artist that you respect just recommend some classic record. You know, they're always, you know, the artists that we love tend to like have even more esoteric tastes. And so, We've always had that discovery aspect with the podcast, which we launched a long time ago. Actually, we've you know it comes out every week, so we can get pretty experimental. Which the G. Weller one is probably the apex oh, of of us being weird. But <laughs> um, you know, behind it all, everything we do, you know, I, I never want to be weird for weird's sake. It's always music that I actually love. Um, yeah, that G. Weller record would we would never have done a podcast on that had the record not been so good uh yeah. i cr- i cringe a little bit you know uh, guitarists and guitar magazines there there tends to be like a, a style of music just made for other guitarists and i hate it like i don't yeah. listen to those records and i know some of those people have all the endorsement deals in the world and they need the coverage in the other magazines um they are important to our industry I personally, like this magazine is such a reflection of my listening habits and and what I'm actually into and what I'm not, you know, if I'm not into it, it probably isn't in the magazine. Yeah. So I tend to focus on like, am I actually going to go listen to this when I get in my car for that hour long drive? If I'm not, I don't know that it's worth doing an interview on, but the G Weller one, I was listening to that oh, record man. all the time.
0: So. Me too, man. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's cool that you're, that it's, it's coming through the lens of what, of your tastes and, and what you, what you gravitate towards, because again, it shows. And I think most people appreciate, you know, that passion coming through a product created by somebody, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, cause I feel, I feel the same way. I mean, I, yeah, I think we, I won't, we won't mention names, but there are guitar players that are guitar player, guitar players that, sure yeah, I don't know about their music doesn't move me that much, but I totally respect them. I totally respect what they do. So I totally hear you, but I think you strike a great balance between, you know, interviewing well-known musicians and the discovery aspect of me come like Madison Cunningham. I, I came mm-hmm. to her through I think Fretboard Journal, which is cool, and she's a young artist mm-hmm. who's phenomenal. And so, yeah, for me, I really appreciate that balance and and the fact that it comes through your lens of of taste. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean now
1: I'm in a fun part where. You know, we've been doing the magazine for 18 years, and I've got a whole crop of new writers who read the magazine. You know, sometimes their dad got it. Like, <laughs> I, we, we've got some young writers in their 20s who sort of grew up on the Fritboard Journal. and oh, that's so great. Whether or not they share my exact music taste, they're recommending things to me that are completely off my radar and starting to write for us. and And that's an exciting time. I mean, it's always kind of a weird... No, nothing makes you feel like an old person more than somebody <laughs> saying, like, I started reading your magazine when I was 10, you know, like, whoa, but I mean, I'm flattered and I'm grateful they've, they're still with it and that they're yeah. reaching out to me with their ideas. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. And they yeah. want to be a part of this cool yeah, journey and content and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Well, yeah. talk about, um, also, you are, every year you do the Guitar Summit. Yeah. And- one of these times I'm going to try to attend one of these things because they sound come amazing. To, you but gotta talk, come. <laughs> talk to me about the last one. How, how did it go and and what were some of the memorable moments that you can recall from that?
1: Yeah. So it's called the Fretboard Summit and we started this, uh, really the idea was like eight years ago. We, we had this idea of you know what would the i think the original elevator pitched t- internally was like what would the ted talks of guitars look like <laughs>
0: uh
1: and i think I, I don't even remember how that came to be but may, maybe i saw a ted talk with the guitarist and thought oh this could be so much better i don't remember
0: uh-huh. but,
1: uh you know the the idea was uh if you're a guitarist and you've you know, a lot of these, a lot of guitarists love buying guitars and there's all these shows catering to them, you know, by vin- vintage instruments, sh- uh, sh- uh, weekends or luthery showcases. There's all those kinds of shows, but there's right. never been a show where, you know, industry legends and great musicians can maybe share their story, help you get inspired. Maybe there's great concerts, maybe there's cool all-star jams. Like there's never really been uh, an insiderish weekend like that. So we did that six and seven years ago, uh, the original two fretboard summits, and I just raided my Rolodex. I invited everybody famous and not so famous, you know, hey, let's all come to this resort. Let's all, you know, do this thing. And you know, we did it on a shoestring, and it was magical. And all these cool people from the industry showed up and shared their stories and interviewed each other. And you know, it was like by day you could nerd out with your instrument building heroes. By night, you would see you know the likes of Bill Frizzell or Joe Henry or all these incredible musicians. Oh man, uh, David Crosby showed up to the first ah. one. I mean, that was that was a a pretty awesome surprise. Uh, we did these. And, and then after two of them, it was like, wow, these make no money. <laughs> you know, these are <laughs> these take up months of work. Yeah. And, and where's it going to go? Like, what what are we going to do with this? And so we kind of scrapped the idea as, you know, one of many great ideas that just wasn't ready for prime time. And then two, three years ago, it was like in the middle of COVID, uh, this incredible institution in Chicago, the Old Town School of Folk Music, reached out to me. And they wanted to host it. Uh, wow. And there we have a turnkey facility with two stages, dozens of classrooms, all the SM57s you would ever need,
0: <laughs> all
1: the mic stands and guitar stands, a great staff that lives and breathes guitars. So um cool. And so to not have to reinvent the wheel and try to turn a hotel or a convention center into... A guitar gathering uh, every year is huge, and so we've been able to do it. You know, we're going to do it every year there now. We've, we've, you know, we're happy with the performance of it. They're happy with the performance of it. We just did one in August uh, at Old Town, and uh, it it was incredible. Uh, Tommy Emmanuel performed. Bill Frizzell led a guitar orchestra that anyone could join in. Uh, We had Josh Scott of JHS Pedals host a kind of Iron Chef. Spoof game show where we had two people try to build a fuzz pedal in an hour <laughs> with a pantry full of ingredients. Uh, you know, Yorma Kakonin from Hot Tuna was there, Jeff Parker, uh, T- Jake eddie a blue, an incredible rising bluegrass talent. Uh, it was a super cool weekend where we created a lot of content that we'll be sharing on the Fretboard Journal podcast and some right. videos that we'll be sharing on our YouTube channel. But mostly it was like where 500 hardcore fretboard journal readers and guitar fanatics could hang out with each other for a weekend. We had 50 builders of high-end guitars showcasing their wares, a lot of guitars traded hands, which is always great to hear. And yeah, you kind of show up at Old Town it's like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. You show up at like 10 a.m. and you don't really leave until like midnight. Wow. <laughs> uh, you don't, you know, there's restaurants and cafes within like a uh-huh. hundred yards that you can go grab a bite to eat at. Um, but yeah, you're you're kind of just immersing yourself in the the world of the fretboard journal for three days. That's amazing. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool and unique and inspiring to, you know, we celebrate a lot of these people in our pages and on our podcast week after week. But to see them all in person and not at you know like a Nam trade show where everybody's distracted and trying to do something else, yeah, to, it, it's like throwing a giant dinner party or family reunion and yeah. anyone can come. It's it's really cool, uh, you know, uh, and, and it's so cool to meet fellow podcasters and. You know, musicians bring their musician friends along and and the talent is just through the roof. Although you don't even need to touch your guitar to really have a great weekend the whole yeah. the
0: whole time. And yeah. is this the first year in that facility? This or- is the second year. Oh, so okay. the,
1: we did it in 2022 and that was still kind of coming out of COVID where we didn't really know about capacity how how many people is too many people whatever right this year felt like we we had the right amount of people it actually sold out which was huge um the the shows at night like those theaters were packed that's so cool and uh yeah yeah it's 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 a fun thing to it's fun to have a little annual gathering that you can look forward to
0: oh man yeah yeah well and it, like you said it, i think it's cool that they the people at that facility saw the value in what you do Mm -hmm. and wanted to be a part of that and wanted to help facilitate that. Again, I, I, you know, I just really appreciate that now more than ever when people, individuals or, you know, agencies or whatever it is, appreciate art and appreciate creating content like this, that, you know, is, is tough to make go because of the financial Part of it, you know, but they see the value in it, and they want to. They want to make it happen somehow. So that's another reason I just appreciate what you do too, is because I, you know, I'm the kind of guy that just appreciates whatever it is, whether I'm buying a a physical item or music. I appreciate knowing that the person behind that gives a shit. You know what I mean? Totally. And I love that. (laughs) Yeah, and and I. you know, I run a very
1: small operation. I'm kind of a one-man band with a bunch of helpers here at yeah. our Seattle office. To to work with a team of passionate people who are all, you know, super hardworking and super knowledgeable in Chicago has been super invigorating for me. Uh, it's great to be a sole proprietor of a business. And if you can make it work, I recommend it to everybody. But yeah. there's also something to be said for working in a larger team setting, yeah, and and being, a, a, you know, getting people's ideas, bouncing ideas off of other people, um, really creating something from nothing, and so they, you know, they they love the summit because it brings in, you know, several hundred people from outside the Chicago area, yeah, who learn about the cool stuff they're doing all year long. I mean, the the Old Town School of Folk Music is this incredible nonprofit institution that has. Great concerts, 300 days of the year, uh, dozens of classrooms, everything from contra dancing to, you know, old time fiddle, like everything in between. Uh, Many great bands and great artists have come out of there. Noam Pekilni of the Punch Brothers, you know, was one of their many alums that went on to greatness. And so they love it because the world gets to see their cool little slice of Chicago. I love it because... I love working with them, and it's a great city to do something like this in, and a great facility. Yeah, and uh, and most of the people attending, I think, uh, like I said, aren't from the Chicago area, and they're like, "Wow, why don't I come here all the time? Like, this is <laughs> such a great city." Uh, so yeah, I mean, I uh, before they reached out, I had no, you know, I like some bands from Chicago. I'd interviewed Wilco, but I I had not had a great deep chicago you know background yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of connections there but now i feel like i do
0: that's awesome yeah and yeah. I, ha- I haven't been to chicago either but i hear it is a really cool town and so I need, I need to get there i think the next fretboard journal has my name on it so yep. the next the board third, yeah next third
1: third weekend of in august basically yeah.
0: every year nice. so yeah
1: we got we're, we're starting to slowly think about uh what's going on for 2024
0: oh that's that's <laughs> great man yeah well, yeah. so another revelation for me is the um, Truth About Vintage Amps podcast <laughs> yeah. that I can't stop listening to. Oh, tell me you. tell me about how that came about.
1: Well, this is a long story. I mean, I'll try to keep it short. But, yeah, you no know, I, as part of my uh, love for quirkiness, love for the esoteric, when I was living in California, we're talking the mid-90s now, uh, you know, I got into... Or I, or, I didn't get into that's giving me too much credit. I thought <laughs> it would be cool to own an old tube hi fi. Nice. Like an old stereo receiver, like a Dynaco or something from the 60s that glowed. And, you know, I knew a Macintosh was like way out of my price range. But uh, all of my musician friends in California pointed me to uh, an individual named Skip Simmons, who was uh, and still is a guitar amplifier technician. And uh a a -a one-of-a-kind character at the time he was a drawbridge operator in the Sacramento Delta. I love that. And you would go visit him at his drawbridge shack. And (laughs) uh the bridge barely ever moved too. It was like the least used bridge in all of California. So he had a lot of downtime in the shack and he had a whole soldering station and a bunch of old hi fi's and guitar amps that he was fixing. And he was just one of these many characters that I've met along the way where you're like, this guy's incredible. Yeah. He's got stories. He's a little bit of a curmudgeon, but he's also hilarious. He's got a heart of gold, you know, all the, all the adjectives skip has them all. And you're in a drawbridge shack talking to this guy (laughs) while he's soldering. (laughs) So i've I, you know skip and i were friends uh, you know acquaintances whatever from the mid 90s and when the fretboard journal started he you know supported us with an ad or two and you know he always he would he's written for other i think he wrote for vintage guitar magazine for a while like he, he's always had this sort of idea of like well why don't we do a write-in column where people could write in questions about their amps and you know i'll respond and a, the fretboard journal tends not to do that kind of right. content. We try to come up with stories that you'd refer back to again and again and less of the like how to stuff. Uh, also, the other issue with the fretboard journal is, you know, we come out f- four times a year. So we have this long, long lead time. So oh, if yeah, you yeah. actually wrote to skip right. with an amp <laughs> on the Fritz, you might get your response a year later, you know, re- <laughs> really by the time it got designed and right. laid out and everything. So I kept telling Skip, like, yeah, I don't, you know, I love you, but I don't think that's going to work. And I forget when it was five years ago, I finally had him. We ha- we did a story on him in the magazine. And then I thought, you know, this would be a good time to have him on the podcast and maybe just to make it fun. In addition to telling his story, we could have people write in with two BAMP questions uh, or yeah, I think it was all written right in at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that exists. That's one of the Flipboard Journal podcasts. And Skip was such a natural at kind of like demystifying the world of Tube yeah. Amps that I was like, holy crap, you need your own <laughs> podcast. Uh, this was not something that was really planned all that well ahead of time. It was, there was no master plan for how many episodes we'd do. But, um, and I certainly had no idea and Skip didn't because Skip. I don't know that he's ever listened to a podcast ever, <laughs> let alone, you know, tried to emulate the greats or anything. Right. But Skip's just a natural at it. And so the, you know, we launched, I forget four or five years ago, the, the truth about vintage amps podcast is the one you're referring to. And yeah. I'm sort of the straight man, Andy Richter, <laughs> Ed McMahon of the equation. I read the questions to skip or play them and produce the show and skip holds court. And, pontificates and answers people's questions on tube amps. And some of them are insanely nerdy to the point where I'm mispronouncing every electronics (laughs) term imaginable. Uh, and some of them are, you know, some of our most famous questions are like, you know, can you identify a a vintage amps just by how it smells? If you were blindfolded, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) And then as the show's progressed, we've heard stories of skip's life on the farm that he lives on. We've heard, uh, cooking people started sharing cooking tips yeah uh we've had some great special guests everyone from ben harper and nels klein to a lot of people in the the amp industry have listened to the show and wanted to be on the show because of that that's so cool which is super flattering uh they might be giants listens to the truth about vintage amps which is you know that was one of those bands in the in the 80s that i just in 90s that i just obsessed over so yeah to, to have them you know, write in and say they found the show and they tune in. It's like, what? This is crazy. But yeah, it's, it's you know, it's of all the things that I do, it it probably has the most engaged audience because people are always submitting questions or voice memos for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and skips a character and we do it every two weeks. That's so cool. Well, I yeah. love that it happened organically too. You know, it wasn't planned. It was just like, oh yeah, this this should happen. And yeah, I love that
1: yeah everything i mean the the first i forget 80 episodes sound awful because it's me calling skip on skype uh (laughs) and skip answering on this sort of cordless flip phone not even like a cell phone because he could talk hands-free and still work yeah and so there's all this static it it sounds atrocious Uh, But there's a lot of information and a lot of people loved those early episodes. For me, there's a
0: lot of charm to it for that reason, because it is lo-fi from an audio perspective. And um, I kind of dug that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, speaking to the organic thing, like at some point, somebody who worked for sure... Wrote to us and said, Look, I can send this guy a USB mic. Like, I don't you don't have to give us a plug, we don't need any money. Like, just oh that's cool. I, I just love the show and think Skip would benefit from it, and that it would be simple enough for him to because Skip is great if you've got like a 60s fender, but for a modern computer, like he's sort of like a lot of us. Like, what yeah. what, what do I do here? What, what's what's the USB C? and so, anyways, yeah, the last 30-40 episodes, Skip's been using a good USB mic he's a little more tethered he's not roaming around his shop like he used to there are there are definitely you know it's like uh fans of they might be giants or guided by voices or nirvana like there are fans of the early lo-fi stuff yeah and then there are people who are like oh no it's so much better now that we can
0: hear him <laughs> Uh there are factions but what are you going to do? That's funny. Well I I love yeah. it all but I did I it does hold a certain charm for me. And that's another thing I love about podcasting too is it's like it, it, we're it's kind of the wild west still and everybody's yeah. just kind of, you know, it evolves as everybody evolves and I love that. And the thing for me was weird was his voice. I could hear his voice more clearly with the 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 better audio. So it he almost sounded like a different person but it was so fascinating to me but yeah. <laughs> It was I a it was that. a Wizard of Oz colorized moment. Or something. <laughs> yeah, a exactly. Bunch of people are like, "What?" Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I love that though. I love it. Well, well, that's awesome. So, are there any? Thank you. Are there any big plans to do some something new f- with the fretboard journal, or are you your hands pretty full now and you're just kind of trying to hone the? Oh the gosh. Aspects. I mean, it's
1: it's hard enough to keep the ship afloat as is <laughs> uh, with all the curveballs life throws. But yeah, yep. I mean, we have uh, five or six podcasts now in our podcast family. I think That's great. we're going to have one more launching maybe by the end of the year with a great musician and it's a different perspective than all the other ones. So I'm excited for that. We're still kind of at the the ground stages of figuring out what that's going to look like. The fretboard summit is, you know, a, becoming a bigger part of my life and, and yeah. in a, in a, in a really cool way. And so we'll be planning for that. Our 53rd issue, of the magazine is coming out in just a couple of weeks here. And then, you know, we're starting to do a little bit more. Uh, we did a book of stories from guitar makers. It, it came out earlier this year, really limited edition just like paperback book of hilarious and heartbreaking stories from you know guitar makers these, these are all the stories that they don't want you to necessarily hear <laughs> and uh a couple of industry veterans compiled it and and gave it to us to publish and we put that out and and it actually had a really good response and so i could see us doing more of these books we have a couple that we're kind of testing the waters playing with layouts, seeing if we want to want to do it or not. But um, you know, it's sort of like those cool, I forget the name of those books, but uh at least here in Seattle, no matter what neighborhood you live in, there's those little like six by nine books that are like 150 pages that are like the history of oh yeah, yeah. You know, Ballard in Seattle or right, right. the history of covered bridges in Oregon. I could see us having a little, you know, side hustle book division where we go really nerdy. On these, like specific moments in time or specific movements, and, and kind of celebrate those in an ad free book format as opposed to the magazine format. But um, right now, I'm pretty busy with all the other stuff.
0: That's so cool. Well, I love to yeah. hear that. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate you uh, taking time to chat with me, man. It's been a blast, and I hope to do it again. And I hope to get Maybe to the office sometime in Ballard and just check it out, man. So anytime
1: cool. you want. There's there's awesome, not much man. to
0: see, but uh, <laughs> welcome you anytime, Rick. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks.